0: already knew she wanted to be a stand-up comedian before she grew up, starting her career when she was still 17. Breon began the first Latina winner of NBC's Stand-Up for Diversity competition in 2012, and since then has held sitcom development deals not only with NBC, but also with CBS and ABC. Beyond tours regularly with Gabriel Iglesias when she's not headlining comedy clubs on her own, and she recently began what could be a recurring role on ABC's hit sitcom, The Connors. There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it! So Gina Breon, um by the time people listen to this, yes, you will have already caused a scene on national
1: television. Yes, I believe I will have.
0: Actually, I have no idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't say much uh, about the storyline, but I do. Right.
0: But I, by the time people hear this, they'll at least know been that been you're, on you're the in Connors. it. So what can you tell us?
1: I can tell you. Um, well, how about tell us this? How did you end up on the show? Oh, this was, this is fun. I was just telling this story. Um, so I did a self-tape Of all things mm-hmm. My manager My agent um, Sent me that email That always Has a million people CC'd on it When you get a self-tape And uh, they said Hey this is for the Connors." And immediately I went Oh Because right. I was like Oh it's the Connors." I used to watch Roseanne Growing up um, I watched the show Because it was the first time I saw like white people That were as poor As my Puerto Rican family <laughs> So I was right. like Oh my god These people Are work, broke work Like my class. family Yeah, yeah Working yeah. class family It reminded me so much Of like my mom and dad were always, like, funny with me. Mm-hmm. Like, they they just... We were a sarcastic family. So, like, all of us had that kind of humor. So, I related to that sense of humor. So, I do this self-tape. And it was one of those self-tapes where you're like, I nailed it. Like, I was like... <laughs> you walk away and you're like, I totally know that. <laughs> and I sent it in. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the next day, my manager called and was like, um, can you... How, can you hold off on any travel plans because you may need to fly to L.A.? And I was like, well, let me know. As soon as you let me know, I'll book a ticket to go to L.A. And um, they called me maybe an hour later and were like, you got the role, so let's do this. Now, when you get the
0: role, did they tell you at the time that it was – one episode with the chance of more? Or what
1: or I've actually done what, two. Two episodes. Shocker. Spoiler alert. I do two episodes. <laughs> you didn't die in the first one. <laughs> I didn't die in the first one. I don't know if there'll be more than two. Mm-hmm. That's always the question. Like right. I get two episodes of Kevin Can Wait, and everybody's like, when are you going back on Kevin? And so what, like, what do
0: they tell you when you get a role like that, where it's not just one episode guest star? You There's know a what they say. More. It,
1: they always say it's a potentially reoccurring role. Mm-hmm. Um, they put me in two episodes because of the storyline. I hope, I pray they bring me back because what I tell you, it was the most wonderful experience being on set um, with people that I grew up watching. Right? It was just this. Everybody on that set, by the way, everyone from the cast to the crew is a dream to work with, and that's rare. It's really rare that everybody is happy to be there and is in a good mood. You have it more with sitcoms, I think, with, than with anything else. But with this particular group, they've known each other for years. True. So for them, it was it was nice. And
0: they had been away for a while. So they the had. fact that they're back for a year now, it's still all kind of fresh and, and definitely a lot newer now without Roseanne. Very, they're all starting very, to figure it out.
1: Very new, and honestly i was uh, I, I say this, and I was saying this um, this morning to a couple of people that I hope people give the show a chance and don't hold the sins of one person against an entire cast of people uh, because they are doing an amazing job of keeping the show very balanced in so many different ways so and you're telling good. me you're the new Roseanne is what you 're saying I mean if they wanted to go latina. <laughs> Hint, hint. (laughs) And then John Goodman rebounds and and (laughs) and marries
0: you now. And you become the stepmom to children
1: who are older than you. Yes. I become the uh, younger stepmom and they have to cope with it. be. I like that storyline. I like that storyline, ABC. (laughs) I love love the storyline that they did give my character. And um, I hope it blossoms into something else.
0: Well, so this is, well, is the third network the charm? Because I know you've had I know. relationships with, with both NBC, NBC and CBS, CBS, and now it's but, ABC.
1: And I, I love all of them. I will say this. I've had some incredible meetings at ABC, mm. and I've always been welcomed with open arms there. Like, they brought me in to audition for Gabriel's show when they were working with Gabriel. Actually, Gabe bought me in personally, but I knew a lot of people that were also involved in that. And uh, I have a lot of love... Uh, for all of the networks. NBC was... I won NBC's uh, right. Right stand-up for diversity thing. And I built a relationship with them. And they were wonderful people. The people at CBS, I hold no ill will towards them. It was a wonderful experience. I got to meet one of uh, the comics I admire. So it was nice to meet Kevin, to work with him, and to see how he works on set. And really get my first experience being in a sitcom. So I always have wonderful memories. And there were a couple people from... Um, kevin who were also working over at abc so when i got on set for the Connors, i saw some familiar faces which is nice um
0: even though they tape in la and kevin taped in long yeah
1: yeah kevin it was very weird i was like what are you doing here (laughs) um (laughs) and i guess we both migrated over here so uh it was it was it's fun i do we'll see we are uh we're gonna see we'll see what happens with abc (laughs) There's some meetings, there's some talks. Oh, yeah? We'll
0: see. Well, your longest comedy relationship, though, kind of dates to here. We're at Gotham, Gotham Comedy yes. Club. Because I know that uh, Chris Mazzilli was a producer on your CBS project.
1: Yes, he was. Chris Mazzilli is one of my favorite human beings how, to walk the planet. How How did your relationship
0: with the Mazzillis and Gotham first start?
1: Oh, gosh, it's, what a great story. So I started comedy when I was uh, 17. And um, when I wasn't doing comedy, I was hanging out at comedy clubs. And by the time I first came to Gotham, I had probably been doing comedy about a year. And uh, <laughs> Chris is going to hate this story. But <laughs> I, um, I was doing Jessica Kirsten's Bringer Show at the old Gotham, the old location. Mm-hmm. And it was a three-person Bringer. And I had told everyone at, at my job that I was going to do this what show. What was your job? I was working at the Museum of Television and Radio Ooh. at the time. And I told them all to show up, mm-hmm. and only one person showed up, Ooh. and so Chris and Jessica walked up to me, and Jessica curses probably one of the sweetest human beings ever and uh she was trying to very gently tell me that i could not go up on the show you
0: were two people shy of a three-person bringer
1: yes and chris just in his very stern way Mm -hmm. in a very stoic and stern way was like i can't put you on if i put you on then i gotta put every other comic on that didn't bring their people that's not how this works and i was so petrified of him because i knew who he was i started crying I could not hold back the tears. The tears were streaming down my face. He did not bat an eye. He did not stop. He just mm-hmm. kept going. And Jessica, she just, she saw the first tear fall, and she went, oh, no. And she like <laughs> ran away, and she could not watch me cry. I told Chris that story when I did Live at Gotham. I was mm-hmm. like, you're the only booker that ever made me cry. <laughs> And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I, I cried. And he, he was like, I don't even remember that. And I'm like, "Yeah, oh, yeah, I cried, bro. I had tears, little frightened girl tears. Just, just I was like a little girl. I was like... <laughs> but it didn't break you. It didn't break him. And it was only because... And he's not... It's funny. He's, he's the biggest heart ever. Chris is a wonderful guy. But it's because he's been in this business for so long. Mm-hmm. And now... Being a more seasoned comic, I can totally understand why he was like that.
0: But him making you cry didn't break you, though, either. It
1: did not. Um, I, I, there was really nothing. I always thought certain things were going to break me. Every bad show, I was like, I never want to do this again. This is terrible. Every bad experience, mm-hmm. every letdown. Um, but you know what? I've loved comedy since I was 14. This is the longest, most abusive relationship I've ever been in (laughs) because comedy is up and down. Comedy is up and down all the time. Whoever's on top now could be on bottom tomorrow. And people always forget that, which is why there should be zero ego in this because you burn bridges that way and you ruin friendships and you ruin relationships. And people are they're so thirsty to get on top. And then, you know, you climb the ladder and you get there and you don't realize the mountain of work that's waiting for you there. You think it's all easy breezy and you're going to yeah. be a star and you're going to be just coming to the clubs and doing whatever you want. There's you a- hop
0: on the private jet. Oh, yeah. And then you, you fly everywhere. And then you there. walk on stage. You do the show. And then and you,
1: you get your own custom golden microphone that you use for mm. every show. But it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of sacrifice. And um, you have to love it. More than you love fame Or anything else you're chasing You have to love Actually doing stand-up
0: What happened at 14 That made you fall in love For that first time?
1: I was channel surfing Through my parents' cable Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to them In the Bronx? In the Bronx In the BX and um, I was not supposed to be in their room watching their TV, but I snuck into their room mm-hmm. and I was... Uh,
0: what were you supposed to be doing?
1: I was supposed to be in my room, um, definitely not watching cable, mm-hmm. probably watching regular... They would let me watch like sitcoms and okay. stuff like that, but I wasn't like allowed Rose to watch. A. Yeah. Right. Later on, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, Latino parents, it was like I could watch all the fluff, okay. but none of the HBO stuff, none of that. It was too grown up. So I was like secretly trying to watch HBO because mm-hmm. it was a scary movie. I've always loved horror movies. So I was like watching, uh, I think it was Freddy Krueger or something. And I, I quickly heard my parents coming up. So I switched it and I just pressed buttons. And all of a sudden, uh, it was Showtime. Uh, I think it was uh, Brett Butler came on. Okay. And I was, I was just intrigued. Like I sat there and I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> because she was just this beautiful Southern woman in this big theater. Mm-hmm it was from her sec- it was her second stand up special um, brett butler sold out and um, i was like Whoa, who is this woman she's really pretty and and what is she doing on stage cuz i had never seen anything like that before like if you watch latino television it's the women are either scantily clad and dancing or they are literally dressed as clowns like that's how we were funny so i'm watching this woman and she's just telling jokes and i'm sitting there going and I get them. At 14, I got her sarcasm. I got everything that was going on because I was always around grown-ups. So I understood a lot about adult life, at, even at an early age. And so I was just laughing. And I was like, That's, I want to do that. Immediately, it was like a connection. I was like, I want to do that. I have to do that. I don't know how. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do it. And then I started watching... Everything comedy related I could think of, every stand up, uh, every sitcom that started a stand up comedian, every bit of stand up I could watch, I just started watching everything. And my parents, I think they were shocked at how into it I was. Like they already knew. They were like, oh, she's not letting this go. Like she loves this. What did they picture you doing as a grown up? Um, you know what? Do they have an, a vision of you? They were probably, the, in, in this way, my parents w- were always very cool. It was always like, look, whatever you want to do with your life, as long as you secure a life plan. And their deal with me was, you could do stand-up mm-hmm. as long as you go to college. And I was like, done. So I did. I got, a, I got a scholarship. Went to college. Went to Marymount College. Did four years time, got out, and then when I was doing stand-up that whole time, by the way, mm. I started the year I graduated high school. But um, I studied English with a minor in psychology, Okay, uh, which is very ironic because I'm dyslexic, so the fact that I was an English major, everybody's always like, how did you make it through? And a, a lot of the ways I made it through is I turned all of my papers into um, presentations. Oh, I okay. would ask the professors if I could do a presentation instead. Right. And most of them said yes, and then a couple of my English professors were like, no. And I was like, all right, this is oh, going to be terrible. Well, oh, Everybody loves a good b- book report. <laughs> yeah, like Don't you guys love it? It's like a little entertainment. <laughs> and I loved it because it was like show and tell. Yeah, it was like show and tell. Or it was like me getting to do stand-up in front right. of a college crowd um, in the form of a presentation. So. so how did you figure out where to go at first when you were still a teenager? Well, the first thing I did was... Um, I, I started to look up like at the time using the old dial-up garbage god I'm old I would look up comedy clubs and open mm-hmm. mics and stuff like that and the first I didn't have the internet so <laughs>
0: you're a young <laughs> whippersnapper <laughs>
1: I was still using an abacus at that time. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. What is this internet you're talking I about? I put
0: up a carrier pigeon and said, bring back comedy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All my calculations were done manually. I have no idea.
0: I was the original Marx Brother. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: I am. Um, I, the first stage I was on, at seventeen, the day of my graduation, mm-hmm. my mom had entered me and my twin sister in a, a contest. The funniest person from the Bronx, okay, which was at stand up New York so technically, the very first club i was ever I ever performed at was stand, stand up new up. york okay. and um, I was on stage, and I just I, the first time i wasn 't nervous, but Wait, when, she entered
0: your sister too
1: though yeah. I think it was a lot of it was because like my was sister,
0: she not sure which one of you was the comedian. <laughs> she confused. <twins. laughs> What's funny is that I know I know one of them. Like, Wait, is one of just...
1: them is funny. I don't know which one. They so both. Just they put look both. The We're just gonna <laughs> just throw them both in, see which one swims, see which one sinks. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny because my sister, um, she she didn't do stand up very long. She okay. like I think she was so much of a perfectionist, and that's really hard in this business to be a it perfectionist because there's so many pitfalls.
0: Right. I mean, even the top comedians don't feel like they have good shows.
1: No, we none of us know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like none of us will just rest assured, none of us have any idea what we're doing. I, we're compare, it, stuff to the wall, I compare it, it sometimes
0: to golf because no matter how good you are, you're still going to get mad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're still going to get frustrated, you, you you're still going to get news. mad. You could step off the stage after a great show, and you're going to nitpick every little thing yeah. that didn't go the right way. Yeah. Like, why did I say this word? I flubbed this. I forgot to do this bit.
0: Okay, so that, that drove your sister
1: so out of the biz. That definitely drove her out of the biz, I think. And she's, she's now a personal trainer and a dope one. And don't get me wrong, she is hilarious Mm -hmm. my entire family is full of funny people they are so funny and um after that i would go i because i went to marymount which is only a couple of blocks away from the comic strip i used to walk to the comic strip okay and i would sit in the back and i would you know at one point when i was passed for late night by lucian Ah. i signed up i would sign up for late night and i would Mm -hmm. do late night there and and then how old were you when you got passed I was probably, God, let me see. I'm doing it by boyfriends. I'm like, was I with my first white boyfriend by then? <laughs> I was probably, <laughs> I was probably, yeah, I was probably with my first white boyfriend. Okay. So I was probably about 19. Okay. I was probably about 18 or 19. So you're still so young. Yeah. When I was passed for industry. And at the and time, late night. at the time, did the
0: clubs have problems with teenagers just hanging out watching shows? At the
1: time, they did not. because if they nobody asked me mm-hmm. how old I was okay. I was just like I would waltz in and I'd be like I would do that I don't know who taught me this trick but I would walk and I'd be like hey I'm a comic can I watch the show Like I was like just a kid I have no idea how I knew to see that <laughs> but I was like I'm a comic can I watch and they would let me watch and it was the first time that I met people like Keith Robinson mm-hmm. and Ted Alexandro and Ross Bennett and all the guys that used to perform there and um, I just my, my I was always there because it was closest to my college and for me gotham was probably this club was the most intimidating club because everybody talked about how great it was and so it was like being here i was so scared even to come to a show here i was like i don't belong there and then i came here for the not here but the old location Mm -hmm. for the first time and i just i fell in love with the way i was treated i fell in love with just everybody there if there's if there's one place that definitely runs shows right it's this club they treat every single comic with such respect and that's really all you need to do it's it's hard enough we don't need to walk into a club and be treated like garbage by other people but this club in particular that was one of my favorite things was that it didn't matter if you were a first year comic mm-hmm. or a 16 year comic it didn't matter they treated you with respect how did you get from Christmas mazilli making you cry
0: to Christmas mazilli deciding he wants to develop you as a talent
1: it's very interesting. Um, I had I had been coming to Gotham for like a long time. And I got live at Gotham. And, you know, uh, I remember when Sean passed me here, the booker, he said, you know, we don't have a lot of spots, but we'll give you what we can. And that's all. I was literally just like so thankful. I was like, thank you so much. I don't care. You can give me one a month, one a year, and I'll be happy. And they were just really good, good to me. And I did when I was doing the NBC um, Diversity Showcase. Somebody from Levity okay. was at the showcase, and they said they called Judy Marmel, who is my manager, and they said, you know, you need to watch her. And Chris co-signed it and was like, you need to watch her. She'll be here next week. Come, come watch her while you're in town. So Judy came to watch me. And she always tells the story so beautifully. She's like, you know, it was a rough crowd, and Gina went up on stage, and she turned the crowd. And it was she makes me sound so heroic. <laughs> Meanwhile, through my whole set, I was like, God, I hope she likes this. This is garbage. Like, <laughs> I walked off stage, and I was like, this crowd is awful. And, uh, so
0: not like your self-tape? For, no, for the no not like my.
1: I did not walk away going, nailed it. <laughs> I walked away, and I was like, I don't, I don't think she's ever going to speak to me. And she came up to me and, mm-hmm. and uh, shook my hand. And <laughs> She'd been eating donuts. Her hands were all sticky. And so she was like, I swear. I'm a real manager. She wrote her number and her name down on a napkin.
0: Did she name <laughs> down Jeff Dunham? It.
1: She did not. Okay. I had no idea about Dunham right. or anything okay. about Levity. I didn't know who she right. was. Oh, really? Until my first trip out to L.A. Okay. I was playing an improv out there that she had you know, booked me on and everything. And um, she came out. And she was in the green room. Now, I have no idea this woman's impact in the industry. I have no idea who she was. And you she just was thought of
0: her sticky donut fingers.
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> sticky donut fingers. I respect that. <laughs> Cuz I do. I'm, like, I'm, I'm a snacker. I get it. <laughs> I appreciate You know what? I always appreciate the humanity in people. Mm-hmm. Seeing that, I prefer that so much more to fake people. I don't care if you fumble your words if you're klutzy if you have sticky donut fingers that's the kind of stuff that i love about people i don't want that fake you meet a lot of agenty agents and sure. a lot of manager managers where you're like oh god you're so fake i want to see some humanity in there I want to know you have some semblance of humanity left in you. Right, not just an empty suit. Yeah, not just an empty suit that sees dollar signs and and everybody. So there was something very endearing about our first meeting. And then we're in this club in in, uh, Cali, and uh, she she comes into the green room, and, you know, the other comics are there with me. And I was featuring—I forget for who So this
0: wasn't part of the— Stand Up for Diversity.
1: This wasn't. This okay. was after Stand after I had won. And oh,
0: after you had won. This is after
1: I had won. She had booked me to come out to and feature for, mm-hmm. I think Bobcat Goldweight. I was the first guy I featured for. Um, the first major headliner on mm-hmm. Cali. And so... She came into the green room and you know, the host was there and Bob Cat was there and you know, she came in, she said hi, and she left and you know, the host was like, That's your manager? And I was like, Who is she? <laughs> like, yes, why? Who is she? <laughs> and it turns out she happened to be a very impactful figure mm-hmm. in the comedy world and, and her name rings a lot of bells. And uh to me she was just this really cool, sweet woman that I met. Uh and who wanted to manage me and you know i was i was just like okay <laughs> like i was like I don't, I don't know you but you're nice <laughs> like, I was just, what was i gonna say i just liked her because she was nice i had no idea who she was mm-hmm. and so uh and then that began the journey and then she worked so uh closely with the mazillies that it only helped me get to know them more although throughout the years i had i had known them but um both chris and steve were wonderful right. people and so this became my home club, like being in New York, you know, and then, you know, when I got past at other clubs, like the cellar and, and, and other clubs, I would go there, but it, this is still home for me. I have so many great memories here.
0: The NBC stand up for diversity. So that's a annual contest yes, with is. regional showcases. And then the finals are at the improv in LA
1: they weren't Uh, actually they they were at the comedy store it was very weird they're at the comedy store
0: but the finals are in la and then when you win you get a holding deal
1: yes what is you get a holding deal you get a holding deal and that i mean what a holding deal basically is is just that that network uh you can't work for any other networks Whatever that network does, that's what you're. So you're going on auditions for shows on right, that network. Right. So
0: the premise. Right. So the premise of the holding deal is that NBC will try to find places for yes, you. Yes.
1: Whether those places be uh, as cast on a show, mm-hmm. or if you're lucky, and it's unlikely, but development. Um, so
0: what happened for your year with NBC?
1: For me, it was a lot of auditions. Mm-hmm. I got an SNL audition. I did a lot of uh, what they call chemistry tests. Which is, you know, when you go to a set, and mm-hmm. usually it's for unscripted TV, which is stuff like reality TV, The Talk, The View, whatever. I know you know this, but I'm sure other people listening may not. So, <laughs> I'm like, I know you know all this, but I'm explaining out of courtesy Please. for the people that may not know this. Uh, chemistry test is when they bring you in to see to literally test your chemistry with another on-camera persona to see like this is the person we've cast already now we need to find the partner that they can play right. off of so who's their sidekick who's their exactly. bff who's their neighbor? who's going to cause tension right. if it's a panel show who's got a big personality it's it's all personality types and and everything so i did a bunch of those and it was you know and then i was also uh i was also in development over at NBC mm-hmm. with uh, Jonathan Komek Martin and some other people that had been involved with the Lopez show. Okay, um, and then that kind of fell through. Like we lost our writer, and and by that time the people over at Sony and Kevin Can Wait and everybody had shown interest in working with me. So by the time we lost that writer, we just jumped ship and went over to CBS. Oh, nice. And wait, before so you we'll get, get to Kevin. CBS. What was your SNL audition like? It was torturous. Um, (laughs) Do you do any impersonations? I do not. And that's why I was like, why am I doing this? I was like, I I am not. There's just certain things you know you're not a right fit for. Right. I had never so, really done sketch. I had done some improv in college, but it wasn't... It so wasn't how did you slanted. approach it? Um, all they wanted, they saw a bunch of comics. All they mm-hmm. wanted was six minutes of stand-up. Okay. Six of the most grueling minutes I've ever done in front of a room full of stone-faced people. Uh, because was it on the SNL stage? It was or? on the SNL stage. Mm-hmm. Lauren Michaels was sitting right there with the staff of writers. And you're just like, first of all, the, the writers would chuckle occasionally, right. but Lauren is like stone-faced and taking notes like a scientist. Mm-hmm. He's just like, just like nodding and just like writing stuff down, and you're like, "What am writing?" It's like when your therapist does mm-hmm. that, and you're like, "What did I say?" But did you mention that you were diverse? <laughs> I am Puerto Rican, just so you know. <laughs> wink, wake, nudge, nudge. You might want to, you might want to hire me just for that. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was torturous because it just mm-hmm. wasn't my element. It was like I'm doing stand up, but right. in the most, and it was a cool environment to be doing stand up.
0: Who end up there? either end up as writers yes, or or
1: characters of some kind. Or like
0: weekend update like michael J. yeah
1: because i just i i don't do any celebrity impersonations i could try to fake it but those are the worst those are the worst people that you know okay this isn't your thing why are you trying to do it so i wasn't going to force that i just did my stand up and then left with my tail between my legs knowing that it was awful and that they were never going to call me and i was okay with that because i don't want to be in a position that i am not suited for because then, what's the point of that? I'm just going to get fired from that show, embarrassed, frustrated, sad, depressed. I don't need all that. I mean, it was a wonderful opportunity, and I'm. It was a great experience too to be on the stage, to see Lauren Michaels, to see the writers, to yeah. be in that environment was incredible. And I would not, if I had to do it all over again, I would still do it again. But it's not something that I was. I was almost like, please don't, please don't pick me. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Well, you do
0: hear stories from some people who. Are hired and then have like a miserable one year yeah. and then leave. Because so. it's hard;
1: it's grueling work. Yeah. You have to be. I mean, and even just the writing—like being in any writer's room—is like it's twelve-hour days. You're like you're busting your hump. But as a comic, you know, your first question is is always like, "Well, can I still do shows?
0: <laughs> it's like, uh, "Can I still get on stage? <laughs> but but for you, you ended up like hooking up with the Kevin Can Wait people, yes,
1: which was incredible. At what point? You know, you only did two episodes but then And it was all the Mozilles, by the way, that I hooked that up. Nice. It was um I had emailed Chris and I was like um, I have bills to pay. Is there a writer's job that I can have? Comedy's so up and down and I swear everybody thinks comedians are millionaires. You have no idea the financial instability every single comic at every single level deals with. And so I was like I need a regular job because I had never been in debt before and all of a sudden I had credit card debt and I was like oh my god. So I emailed Chris right. and I was like I need a job as a writer. I need something steady like whatever. So he submitted me to write for Kevin Can Wait. And then Jeff Sussman mm-hmm. called him up and said, um, "Yeah, we we want to develop with her. Like we don't want her as, we want to develop with a show with her." And I was like, "Say word." Yeah, I was just about to ask, like, how soon?
0: Oh my did god, did that spin into something else? It took else, a while was-
1: because we were still technically in a deal with NBC. So it was like, everybody was like, well, what's going to go? It's like when you have, you're in a really bad relationship and then the guy of your dream shows up and Mm -hmm. you're like, ah, why am I dating this douche? (laughs) And so I was like, (laughs) no offense, NBC, no No offense offense to NBC, but it was like, things were crumbling Mm -hmm. with this thing. And it was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like what is going on here? And then everything kind of exploded with the NBC thing and just kind of all together just it kind of imploded at one point it was nobody's fault except for bad timing in life in general at that moment because everybody involved i loved everybody involved over there and i wanted it to work and then once that sort of everything fell through and the contract was now null and void um i went over to cbs and i sat down with everybody uh at cb i was sat down with executives from cbs and sony and uh Mm -hmm. judy came to the meeting and chris mazzilli was there and we sat down we talked development and um we just had this really open dialogue about what i wanted and didn't want and it was it was really great it was very because reapproaching something like that after going through something falling apart can be really scary because it's like oh gosh oh gosh Uh, can we still use these elements of the story like can we and you know so is there anything
0: to salvage
1: yeah like what can I salvage from this and Mm -hmm. and what can I use and I'm always very like I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings are they going to get mad (laughs) like like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and so
0: (laughs) it's show business I
1: know people's feelings (laughs) get hurt all the time in this business and I'm the one that's so concerned about hurting people's feelings so then we had this really open and, and fun dialogue and then they ended up uh having me on two episodes it was so funny because the first day i went in um andy fickman the uh, director was there and uh sharon one of the producers she was there and she said hey um it's nice to meet you kevin's a big fan of yours and i was like what (laughs) and then andy goes hey it's nice to meet you kevin's a really big fan of yours and i went what and then like the day of I, I saw Pete uh-huh. who who's a writer on the show and he goes oh Gina, it's great to have you on set I'm glad you're here um, Kevin's a really big fan of yours and I was like stop saying that <laughs> and I was like okay the moment of truth Kevin's coming right. into the table read and I'm like he's gonna be so psyched that I'm here because um, he's like a huge fan of mine apparently mm-hmm. I was like ready for like a hey I loved your stuff blah 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 and then he just walks in and he's like hey Gina and just keeps walking and I was like, <laughs> beep, beep. like I was so Deflated because I was like, um, I thought you were like a big fan or something. Um, what do they just
0: tell that to all the guest stars? <laughs> right? I'm like, Kevin's a big
1: fan. <laughs> Kevin's a really big fan. <laughs> of what? I'm just an actress. <laughs> of your work. This is the first thing I booked. Well, then this. He's already
0: thinking about Paul Clark <laughs> 3. <laughs> of your future, a right? Spinoff now. for Paul Blart Mall Cop <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's got a role for you. <laughs> uh, but he was amazing to watch work. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely amazing to watch work. And it was a, that was another fun set. And Aaron was great. And everybody on the set was just, that was fun.
0: What did you learn about going through the development process?
1: That, I mean, a couple of things, so many different things. Um, mainly that it's, it's more likely than not going to fall apart. Um, not for any reason other than there are shows that get picked up and shows that don't. That's literally it. And you can't sit there and punish yourself over it. Um, especially with comics, we can be so hard on ourselves when stuff doesn't come through because we're so used to being in the driver's seat. The hardest thing about development is that you're not in control of it. You, you have no say. All you can do is say. Even if
0: you have a great idea and you're like, yeah.
1: this, here here's my idea.
0: Millions of people are going to watch this
1: millions of people would love this idea this is what tv is missing and then it won't go through Mm -hmm. and you just you cannot take it personally when i um when i found out about cbs i was i was of course upset i was upset about it because it was like this big dream and you're all excited and you know i had it framed the article that came out about me and kevin working together on this and um adam ferrara called me he's the sweetest guy in the world Um, because he texted me the first thing he did was text me and he said how you holding up kid and I was like, I have good moments and bad moments. Mm-hmm. And he called me and he said, I'm going to tell you something. He was like, the first time a sitcom deal didn't go through for me. <laughs> he was like, I stayed in my apartment in my underwear for three days. He's <laughs> he was like, it can be devastating. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good. I'm not crazy. And he was like, you're going to have ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You're going to be upset about it. Then you're going to think you're fine. Then you're going to be upset again. Then you're going to think you're fine. And he goes, it's going to happen. But with time... It's gonna lessen and lessen and lessen and you'll just have a memory of how much that hurt, but it won't affect you as much. You know, and he was right. Over time you just look back and you go, Damn, that was that was pretty painful. I remember the feeling of that. It and it was then, like my second white boyfriend. Yes. It was like my second <laughs> white boyfriend. A painful breakup. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Mike Vecchione. Uh, Whoa, that was my second wife boyfriend. <laughs> I'm like, damn you, you bastard! Name drop. <laughs> name dropping only because we love to talk smack to each other. Me and Vecchione, when we see each other, we're very good friends, and I love them to pieces. But the best thing about uh, the best thing about dating and breaking up with a comic are the jokes that come after it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that's, that's the best.
0: Okay, so what have you what have you learned then from uh, touring with and working with Gabriel? Okay. God,
1: so much, the, the man. Um, first of all, he's an amazing human being. He is one of the most amazing human beings. So generous, so kind. Uh, he's got a huge heart, man, and uh, a lot of people. That's why, like, whenever somebody says anything negative, I'm like, I like go on the defensive like right, right away. I get so mad at them because I'm like, How dare you! Like, I get so like, Don't you touch him! I get so upset when people talk smack about him because he's such a good guy and works so damn hard that um, I I know firsthand. How hard he works How mm-hmm. exhausting it can be Well he had to take a break too Well yeah Because it's a lot I mean the dude works Like he He's on tour Like 42 weeks out of the year He is working And working And working He is writing And coming up with stuff And having these adventures And pitching shows Like the dude Is nonstop. I mean I thought I had a good work ethic mm-hmm. <laughs> And then I met Gabriel And I was like Oh Oh okay I ain't doing nothing <laughs> um, He's an amazing person To work with For a lot of reasons One One of the biggest lessons Um that i've learned from him i think is and whether it was intentional or not was you don't have to even at his level you don't have to lose who you are as a person you know he's still gabriel he's still that guy from when he started he's just at a different level he's still that sweet nice kind generous human being it A lot of comics, I think, get bitter as they rise up because they feel like they're owed this big prize of being famous because they worked so damn hard to get there. When in reality, you're not entitled to anything. It's your choice to work very hard to achieve a goal. And once you get that goal, you should be proud, not bitter. And he comes from that camp of he's very proud of the work that he's done, but it has not ruined who he is as a person, you know. And uh, comedy-wise, I mean, he is constantly... Writing, constantly working. And I've worked with so many different people, and he's one of those guys that gets on stage and you just get this feeling that, like, he knows he belongs there. There is no questioning his confidence. How has, you know, you mentioned learning
0: from him about working hard to achieve the goal. How has that changed what you have now in terms of your own goals and what you want to work for and what's worth putting in? x amount of work to get this accomplishment it's weird um whether it's your own hit sitcom or
1: i mean i would love to have a sitcom i think or my,
0: touring arenas Right. Or, I, I mean you are going on a tour yes. with gabriel in arenas but like to, for your name to be on the marquee or
1: it would be pretty would be pretty incredible i mean i would love to have a tour of my own a world tour not just like mini tours where it's like, oh, I'm doing a run in Texas or Mm -hmm. I'm doing a run over here. But like a really big tour would be definitely be a goal of mine. Um, Have your goals changed, though? Yeah. Oh, totally. I think when I started, I just loved comedy so much. I was like, I just want to be a good comic. I just want to be a good comic was my only thing. I remember asking Jim Madrinos once. We were on a road gig. I I was like a year into comedy. And I said to Jim, I was like, am I a good comic? (laughs) Like an idiot. (laughs) And Jim goes, no. But uh, but you will be. And I was like, Oh, oh yay. <laughs> I was like, Oh and then there was that moment Thankfully,
0: of Thankfully you were eighteen. Yeah so. and
1: very forgetful and had right. pushed that down and repressed it so. so it's
0: not as hard as like when a new twenty eight year old hears No, you stink still. Well, because
1: you wanna fight against it and you're like, But I knew I was still learning mm-hmm. and I was asking somebody who was headlining. You know, And who better to ask than somebody's in the position you want to be in. And it's right. so funny because as a younger comic, you always want to be the headliner. And then you get to headline and you're like, damn it. I didn't realize it was going to be so much work. <laughs> the feature has it so much better. so much better. You don't have to do any press. You don't have to do any of this. Actually, I still like doing press. It's still exciting to me. I don't always love it at six in the morning, but... Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's still nice to but be But like, in terms of like, what do you want now
0: out of the rest I would of love your... to
1: have my own tour. I definitely mm-hmm. would love to... TV would be, would be nice. TV, movies, I would love that all. Because I'm a huge movie fan. I love movies. And I watched so many sitcoms growing up uh, that were based on comedians that were built around their lives that I would love to have that for myself too. Um, I think it... But I don't need... I think It's so weird. My goal isn't like a ridiculous level of fame, just just success and success how I view success, which is am I able to pay my bills? Am I able to take care of the people I love? Am I able to do my job well? That's enough. You know. Yeah. I don't need people screaming when I walk through malls. Gina, Gina, you know what I mean? I've seen that reaction and I'm always like <laughs> You know, it's it's wonderful when people recognize with me with and everything. With Gabe, with Ornie Adams, with um uh, a lot of people that I've worked with you just see that reaction of like Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> So it gets like um it gets to be more You don't need that kind of fame. No, because it's too much. Like you when you get to a certain level that you can't even walk through a mall or go do well, your that's own that's why you get shopping. a house
0: in the Hollywood Hills and then I have to worry know. about the fires I can't year. even.
1: I can't even drive through the Hollywood Hills without having a panic attack. Yeah. Those houses, why would you... I can't. I can't, know. I would automatically think, earthquake, I'm going to slide down this hill. I cannot. I can't. But I think that's
0: what they do to get away from the screaming fans.
1: Yeah, that does make sense because they're not going to... I mean, there's those they're hills are like a labyrinth. Yeah. You're not going to find them up well, there.
0: Well, you may not have that, but uh, Gina Brion, I can safely say... <laughs> You are a good comic.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>, thank you. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and then I quit comedy I'm like and up funny. I'm funny I'm done <laughs>
0: I, a no, th- <laughs> I look forward to seeing you as the future uh, Mrs. Roseanne and
1: uh- yes and do please check out the website GinaBrione.net because I just got it oh you got .net sure. I got .net because it was I have GinaBrioneComedy.com but mm-hmm. somebody had GinaBrion.com, so I got wow. GinaBrione.net and you can check out the tour dates with Gabriel and my other <laughs> website check it out because it's really cool <laughs> and I like it
0: <laughs> Thanks so much, Gina. <laughs> Thank you. Last
1: first.
0: This episode of The Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brissell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, Logal by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news, become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.